It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Mate, this is just impossible. Too many people were confused. Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. I have always believed in miracles. That's not a policy. Not now, not ever. I mean... These comments are completely inappropriate. I'm sure she's right. But I ain't spending any time on it. How pathetic. You're a classic space invader. Disgusting, mud-sucking creatures. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. Welcome to this Democracy Sausage Extra. I'm Mark Kenny from the ANU's Australian Studies Institute. I thought we'd look at a different aspect of the corona crisis in this episode, and that is sport, particularly the economics thereof. Almost all sporting competitions around the world have been put on hold, as we know. Indeed, overnight, just before recording this, we heard that the All England Club had abandoned this year's 2020 Wimbledon Championship for the first time since World War II. Add that to the list, which already includes the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games, which will apparently go ahead next year under the same 2020 name. They're stubborn, these Olympic officials, aren't they? Of course, we tend to think of sport as recreation, as games, But sport these days is big business, and its interconnectedness with the economies of nations is extensive, from tourism and hospitality to health, manufacturing, education and more. I'm delighted to welcome someone who knows a great deal more about this than most, Dr Simon Chadwick, who is Director of Eurasian Sport, Professor of the Eurasian Sport Industry and Director of the Centre for the Eurasian Sport Industry. Uh, And Simon comes to us tonight from, well tonight, his time, from Coventry in the UK. Welcome, Simon. Hi, good to be here. I understand that you've, uh, just before we get to sport, I understand that you've uh, made a bit of a foray out into the shops tonight, something that uh, you do with some trepidation at the moment, thanks to this corona crisis, a, a trip to Tesco's, was it? What was it like? Well, the first thing to say is, is if I cough during this broadcast, it's not because I'm <laughs> ill, I've just got a really dry throat, and it's, it's, not, it's not connected with my uh, trip to the supermarket, but... Uh, yeah, this was my first uh, my first venture outside my house for two weeks. Um, I'd forgotten what supermarkets look like, and and uh, I, I I was concerned, but because of the the work that I do in East Asia, um, I knew that I needed a, a mask, a good mask. Uh, I also had a pair of uh, protective, not goggles, but protective glasses and some latex gloves, and and so um, whilst it was with trepidation that I, uh, I ventured out. Uh, it, it was it was fine, and I was safe. And I think people in general in Britain were or are they they're they're abiding by the social distancing um, guidelines that have been provided. What's the feeling like there though about how well the government or or, or or not well, depending on your perspective, I suppose, but how the government has handled the situation? Is there a uh, a sense of uh, on top of the fear of the virus itself, uh, a sense of umbrage about? Um, perhaps the, the government's earlier missteps in, in its response to this crisis? I mean, I'm, I'm, no great, uh, I'm no great fan of the British government for, for, for several reasons. Um, 
but in fairness to not only this government, but I think any government, you know, they're, they're in an invidious position. You know, it's an unprecedented situation. And having to make the right calls time after time after time requires a degree of expertise and precision that I don't think any government, and for that matter, any organization worldwide actually has. Um, but I think he in, in Britain, there is, a, there is an undercurrent of anger, irritation, frustration with some of the mistakes that have been made. Uh, we had the famous, insta- in, famous instance of, of Boris Johnson recommending that we should actually all be next to each other and you know, touching each other and being close to each other and whatever else, because then we could de- develop this uh, horde immunity. Um, and, and he backtracked on that very, very quickly. And, and I think there is a view now that he not only wasted time, but it was just a stupid thing to say. And he was badly advised. Uh, and he got coronavirus. <laughs> and he got coronavirus. Well, I mean, he got coronavirus, as did lots of his colleagues in in, uh, in the ruling party as well. Um, but uh, but I think for, for many people, whilst there is an undercurrent of frustration and, and irritation, possibly anger, Many of us are actually just living in the moment and, and we, we, we're trying to look after our relatives. We're trying to stay safe. We're trying to show support for the health services. And, and I wonder whether the, the, the latent animosity will ever spill over at some point in the future or whether it will just dissipate. But I think certainly it's there. But, but people tend to be focused on other things right now. Now you said just before we again, again before we get to uh, the, the sort of main subject matter we're talking about, but you said you'd ventured out really for the first time in two weeks. Uh, it sounds like you're personally taking it very seriously indeed. Uh, are you saying that you literally haven't been doing sort of exercising or anything? You've you've even though you don't believe you've got the virus, you've you've almost been self isolating. Uh, it's basically because I'm born idle and I like lounging around at home. That's why. <laughs> um, so uh, no, I I I I think I. It's fair to say that I do have a sense of uh, social responsibility. Um, um, for me in particular, I I just started a new position in in France, and for my first two weeks in France, uh, I listened to the news every day, and I was hearing. Know, kind of increasing reports, growing numbers of, of people becoming affected. Um, there were there were people going from France into Switzerland every day to work, and people going from Switzerland into Italy every day to work. There was no lockdown. Uh, there were stories, and, and in, in France, obviously, there was the, the story famously about the Smurf convention, or or the, the 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 large number of people who went along to an event dressed as Smurfs, and then there was a big outbreak of coronavirus, and and so I, I guess. My 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 reading of this situation is is that that France was probably a, a week ahead of of Britain in terms of people being affected and impacted by the virus, and and so I perhaps had a, a head start on 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 other British people, and so when I when I eventually got to the point where France was locking down, I perceived that Britain was going to go locked down, and I came back to to Britain. I knew that I, I would have to have to behave in a way that w- wouldn't adversely affect people around me. Um, I'd flown across Europe, so to to get to France and back from France. I'd been on planes. I'd had to transit through airports. Already there were people there from East Asia who were wearing masks. There were you know, still large numbers of people at that point, early March. And so the, the, there was part of me was thinking, well, maybe I might have the virus. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't look as though I, I've, I've got it. Hopefully I haven't got it. But I think at the same time, you know, I, I, di- I didn't want to add to the burden of shops. I didn't want to add to the burden of the health service. I, I didn't want to add to the simple burden of, of putting more more bodies than are necessary in public spaces. 
And and so I am extremely fortunate that I work in a kind of sector where obviously I, I can just sit in my house and do it. And and obviously uh, my my Zoom use has, has trebled over the last three or four weeks. Um, I've written quite a lot. I've done quite a lot of podcasts and vodcasts and webinars and this kind of thing. So if anything, and, and, and this is becoming a bit of a cliche now, you know, I, I've been more productive over the last few weeks just by staying at home. Yeah, it's really fascinating, isn't it? I'm, well, we're of course uh, in our respective homes now, doing this. Uh, this podcast, of course, has had to had to move to that kind of distributed model where we're uh, we're all doing it remotely, which uh, pre- has presented its challenges. But uh, it means that uh, seeing as we don't have to get people in the studio, we can do the sort of conversation we're having right now, talking across the other side of the world. So there are there, as you say, there are some sort of upsides to it. The other thing I think um, when when you are uh, talking about um, being so responsible there's that there's that simple idea of not adding to the anxiety of other people i notice even when i'm out walking the dog or whatever um we tend if i come across people coming the other way on the path we give each other a wide berth not so much uh, because we're worried that the person coming the other way might you know be a, a vector for the virus but just uh, to keep everyone's everyone's level of anxiety down you know, because they you know you don't make an assumption about them and they don't make one about you and you minimize that contact out of uh, out of uh, I think um a simple respect for other people's peace of mind yeah it's a, that's a really interesting point because for me one of the things that I I've actually contemplated over the last few days in particular is is whether whether to stop using social media and not not reading social media but actually posting things on social media because certainly over the last three or four weeks um, I've been approached by a, a lot of for example media outlets to talk about the virus and it's it's hardly been positive what I've been saying and and so I I, I contemplate should I should I actually just stop stop saying things and should I stop using social media and posting on social media and and so. I think the, the the nature and the tone of my posts over the last three weeks has changed. I, certainly, three weeks ago, I was, you know, I was I was part of the problem, not part of the solution, in the sense that I was contributing to the concern that was beginning to build. I think last week I went through a period of of, of um, you know just thanking everybody, you know, kind of almost like in an Os- Oscar's speech uh, type way, you know, <laughs> congrats, saying good things about students and good things about my colleagues and and. I think this week I've I've been a little more normal, you know. They're kind of posting the things that I would have posted anyway, and and so you know, I know it's only one part of my 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 world and one part of my life, but I think social media for me has been a, a, a microcosm of, of of the way in which I've been thinking and my changes in mood. And as I say, I I, I just don't want to, I don't want, and not, not only don't want don't want to scare people, I don't want to antagonize people because I think we need to all be as positive as we possibly can right now. Very wise words. I like to think uh, that uh, that is putting the Simon Chadwick putting the social back into social media, uh, which let's face it, it could do with uh, there's a lack of civility there too often and too much smart assery for my liking. It's okay once this is all once this is all over, I'll launch into a torrent of abuse on social media. So, uh, I'll save <laughs> it for to, later. Back to uh, standard operating procedure. The Wimbledon decision that was inevitable, was it not? Uh, absolutely. I, I just there's just no way, no way that you could host such an event. Um, what I what, what I what I like in particular about about some of the decisions that have been made recently, and and not just with with tennis, but in we've seen it, for example, in cycling, is is just being decisive and doing it early and giving everybody the certainty that they need. 
what we saw with the Olympics, and I know the Olympics is a bigger event, it's much much more complex. Uh, there was not just a, a sporting agenda there; there was a commercial agenda, but also uh, a Japanese domestic political agenda behind that as well. So I do understand why the Olympic decision took longer, but I think um, you know, hats off and and I commend not just Wimbledon but some of these other events that I've mentioned about, where very early on we know what's going to happen. Uh, not only the players, but obviously the commercial partners, the broadcasters, all of those people are associated with event the uh, the, the event. Those supplying strawberries and champagne, uh, you know, those those that uh, run event management companies. They all now know what's going to happen. Now, obviously, it's 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 not necessarily good news for for I would imagine the vast majority of people, but at least they know where they stand and they can begin to plan accordingly. I think for for sports competitions, for leagues, for events that are just hanging on and hanging on and hanging on, um, this is this is adding to anxiety. We, we you you talked about it earlier. It's adding to anxiety. And as I say, whilst I understand why why they're doing this uh, during this during this period of time during the crisis i think we need good leadership strong leadership good management and we need certainty and do we also need uh, in a sense a statement implicit in that of values which is which is um recognizing that sport despite it being business as i said in the introduction despite it being a, a huge industry uh, in its own right that it is all, that it is nonetheless about games um it is not you know the serious uh, business that we are it doesn't it just pales into insignificance compared to facing a global pandemic i would hope that what the crisis has led us to reevaluate or reestablish perhaps is that uh sport is lots of things so you know many of us would tend to think of sport in terms of you know, the UEFA Champions League final or Wimbledon or a Formula One Grand Prix, you know, a battle between Ferrari and Mercedes. Uh, but that is only one one type of sport. That's elite professional sports. That's an industry. It's a, it's a business. It's a commodity. Um, there are lots and lots of other different types of sport too. And, and if you think about – let me give you one simple example. Um, China over the last two weeks has – uh, just permitted people to congregate in public places again to, for example, kick a ball around. And and for for you and I guess for many of your listeners, um, you know that that was that that was part of our upbringing. Just, just to go to a park with friends and kick a ball around for an hour. You know that that was how we learned to be with people. It's how we learned to make decisions. It, it's how we learned to be parts of teams. It's how we learned to uh, you know suffer the pains of defeat and learn from it. How we learned to win. And and what's really important, and and, and my view is, as we come out of this, is we don't just revert to type, and 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 we go back to watching Premier League football and Formula One Grand Prix. Is is what we do is is that we appreciate sport for the the breadth, the diversity, the richness, and I guess the the variety of goals that that sport can contribute to achieving. I want to come back to uh, to that that place of sport and what whether it might change after the break. We'll just have a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll talk more about this issue of the you know the economics of sport and I suppose its place in a in a complex economy and also a complex society. Back in a moment. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now, let's go to this question, Simon Chadwick, of the Olympics here. We were just talking about it before the break. Uh, in, in terms of the economic power of that sort of event, I mean, these things are ruinously expensive to put on. Uh, as you say, Japan uh, had uh, so much riding on these games happening in the middle of this year, um, and so it was with some obvious reluctance we could see the olympic community you know, getting finally getting to the decision of having to postpone the games what 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 does that mean for japan do you think and um and uh, will it uh, you know will it be a massive uh, cost penalty for japan so this is this is actually quite a, a complex issue um i guess the 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 popular perception and general coverage of of what uh, has happened in japan has framed the postponement in 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 terms of I guess sport v money, and and certainly there there is money there, and there are there are financial issues that will have to be dealt with. Um, Japan has some, spent somewhere in the region of between um, forty and fifty billion dollars US dollars in creating infrastructure and preparing for for the games. So financially, they've been, made a big play. Uh, on this, uh, if you consider alternatively sponsors, um, sponsors pay big money for contracts with the IOC uh, for an association with the games, but that's only one small part of it because uh, these these global corporations will also uh, commit significant amounts of money on what's called activation, which essentially means making the sponsorship work once you've got the contract, and and these activation. Um, uh, strategies are, are not things that are dreamt up overnight. They, you know, the, the, the kind of day before the game starts. Very often, they're they're months and sometimes years in planning. So, you know, in, in in organizations like Coca Cola, for example, you, know, you, you will have had had large teams of people um, meeting for long periods of time and devoting resources to making their sponsorship deal with the IOC work. So, this is a densely packed network of financial and, and, and commercial interests and issues. But what's particularly interesting about um, Japan is, is Japan, as, as many of your listeners will know, over the last two decades has not been uh, the, the kind of preeminent economic force in East Asia that it once was. Um, it has it struggled somewhat uh, during that time. And part of the problem not obviously some economic difficulties there, but part of the problem is is Japan has been a very inwardly focused country, and what we've seen is the government there wanting wanting to turn the country outwards, and and to use 
the Olympic Games and subsequently to that, sport in general as a way of effecting a cultural change within Japan, whereby it does turn outwards and it begins to play the soft power game and project soft power globally. So it's it becomes something more than a, than a, than a kind of Nintendo and Sushi Nation. It becomes something else too. But also an interesting part of this is is that uh, Shinzo Abe, the president, has has rolled the dice big on this. He's got an election next year that he is he is is desperate to win. And what he was hoping for was to stage the games this year. There would be a, a feel good factor, a halo effect, uh, an economic bounce. So there would be an increase in GDP as a consequence of hosting the games, and that would provide him with an electoral platform to to be successful next year during the, the elections. Uh, by pos- by postponing, the bounce won't come in time, and so. I'm sure that part of the machinations behind uh, the decision about whether to postpone or to cancel or to go ahead, yes, it was about money and yes, it was about commercial interest and yes, it was about law, uh, but it was also about, I think, domestic politics inside Japan as well. Yeah, and of course, uh, on top of all of that is broadcast uh, rights as well, which uh, are uh, in the multiple billions of dollars as well for a thing like the Olympic Games, absolutely staggering amounts of money that would have been committed by uh, broadcast partners to uh, to carry the Games uh, globally. Of course, the thing like the Olympic Games is it's, it's almost like the, the, the sort of quintessential uh, potential vector for a, a pandemic, isn't it, bringing... Uh, bringing hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world, uh, in many cases, um, you know, housing them in in um, athlete accommodation, uh, in close quarters, and so forth. It, it really, I, I guess, it's been obvious outwardly since this pandemic came about that uh, this was the decision that was going to have to be made. But for all the reasons that you just listed there, um, it took them some time to get around to you know that reluctant decision to postpone. And it, it almost was like a chronicle of a death foretold. It was. It, it seemed almost inevitable that this was was going to happen, and and certainly for 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 me, sat in Europe, looking out to China and 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 to uh, to South Korea and other parts of East Asia, which is as as part of my work and as part of my personal interest, I do. It's it's it was it was like sitting on a beach and and watching the tsunami coming. It was inevitable what was going to happen. What I find particularly interesting about what you what you've just said, really, two things. The first one is is uh, uh, some of your listeners uh, may be familiar with the Cheltenham Horse Racing Festival in Britain. Um, the Cheltenham Festival took place uh, three weeks ago here, and this is one of the biggest events on the sporting calendar um, in in Britain. And you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, and there were calls immediately for the government to to, to basically say no, this can't go ahead. But the event organizers let it go ahead the government said nothing and what's really amazing now is is there are clusters of covid-19 um outbreaks where significant numbers of people are saying and this is what they have in common i i was at the cheltenham festival and uh, there is a, a a professional footballer charlie austin of, of west bromwich albion who who has had covid-19 actually posted on social media um i think i caught it at the cheltenham festival so the potential of, of these mega events as um hypercharged infection um channels is 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 there it's obvious and in those terms the olympic games just it just simply couldn't take place but the second thing that i would say and, and this is this is interesting because it's about japan is the the japanese j-league soccer 
um, league announced that it is going to try and start in mid mid April. Uh, which I find very interesting given that uh, just today China has clamped down again on its professional sports seasons uh, recommencing. But what I find particularly intriguing about the J-League soccer season is the government and and the soccer authorities have announced that they're going to try and practice social distancing in games. And (laughs) and one one of the measures, I don't know how this is going to work, but one of the measures that they've got in mind is instead of selling tickets for every seat, they're only going to sell tickets for every other seat. So good luck on that one. Um, I'm going to be interested <laughs> to see how that works. Well, um, I was watching a game uh, of, of AFL, Australian Rules Football, uh, here that actually it seems quite amazing that the Australian Rules Football League did actually commence amid all of this and uh, did so without audience at all. That was the the compromise they reached. And after the first quarter, the game has four quarters, and after the first quarter, Carlton... Um, had uh, was was down. I think against Richmond, uh, I think the score was thirty to nil uh, uh, in Richmond's favour. And um, you know, someone someone tweeted uh, to Carlton's defenders were practicing social distancing. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, my team's like, been doing yes. that for years as well. <laughs> yes, that's Middlesbrough, right? Uh, yeah. The, the, the yes. defence in particular is very good at social distancing. Yes. It's, it's a worry. So what's the state of the competition there like at the moment? I mean, uh, it's uh, on hold? So in, in football or for, for Middlesbrough yes. particularly? Or, or in well, it, well, in football and, and for Middlesbrough. What, what's the, what's the, uh, the status of the competition? Uh, I think Middlesbrough at the moment are one of the few beneficiaries of the, uh, the lockdown in Britain um, because it means we can temporarily suspend the pain of our uh, relegation battle. Um, but, but, but other, but otherwise, uh, effectively there's, there's no sport. Um, there were some Olympic, some Olympic qualifying bouts, uh, in London, uh, about 10 days ago, 14 days ago. But again, there have been subsequent reports that some of the officials and some of the boxers, and, and this was a lockdown event. It was just uh, participants and, and their support staff, but there have been reports that some of them now are suffering from COVID, COVID-19. So, um, Did anyone so, promote it as lockdown and then knockdown in the lockdown? That would have been surely the. Uh, you miss your you miss your opportunity. You're in the wrong profession. <laughs> but uh, going back to football, the um, the competition is suspended as a result of the lockdown. But has a decision been taken for the the entirety of 2020? Or no, not yet. So <clears throat> there seems. It, it, it's at least until the end of April we we know there's going to be no football, but uh, the noises coming out of, of of soccer authorities across Europe are not especially positive right now. Uh, I think in, initially there was okay, it might be it might be the start of April, then it might be the end of April, and, and maybe it will be May. Uh, the, even the most optimistic, I think, are looking towards possibly June. And we might be lucky to actually finish the existing season, the current season, without encroaching onto the new season. But even then, I, I think there are some of us out, out there in the world who are thinking, you know what, um, we'll be very, very lucky to finish this season and or we'll be very lucky to start next season on time. And what about Euro 2020? Where's that competition at? That, that's uh, a bit like the Olympics, isn't it? Bringing yeah, fans year. and teams from all over the all over. It's next year now. Yeah, and that's that's a particularly interesting um, postponement because what's going to happen or what was due to happen in twenty twenty one is FIFA was launching its new Club World Championship, 
and uh, this was going to be staged in China. And 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 given the given the nature of the relationship between China and FIFA, which is an increasingly close one, uh, and there are reasons for that, uh, there was some suspicion that, that that FIFA might cut up rough with UEFA's request for a postponement of the Euros to to 2021. Um, but in reality, that was a relatively quick and painless decision, and, and FIFA stepped aside and said it's important to um, to do this. But my sense of this is is that FIFA being so accommodating was, you know, it, it effectively has sought to build political capital. Uh, and 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 I would speculate, looking ahead to, to 2030, uh, China has aspirations and ambitions to host the World Cup in 2030. And, and so I think there's going to be an, inter- an interesting political waltz from perhaps mid-2021 onwards between UEFA, China, FIFA, that I believe, following the decision that has been made, will result in China getting the 2030 World Cup. I, uh, I wrote a piece recently um, uh, speculating about some of the changes that might happen right across society, right across the community uh, from this corona crisis, just because it has forced... Uh, such a dramatic change in the way we all live and the way we work and uh, forced us into, in some cases, new technologies that, uh, you know, will replace um, or at least have the potential now to replace to some extent um, old practices. Particularly, we talked about Zoom, for example, be using that for more meetings than uh, I mean, it's been around for a while and that, that, that sort of facility has been around for a while. But um, I guess we've all been forced suddenly into using it, and um, and it really does, su- you know, uh, suggest that uh, in the future, uh, employers, uh, governments, whatever, may be deciding. Look, you don't really need to attend that meeting. You can you can do it uh, online. Um, I'm wondering, do you think there'll be changes in the economics of sport as a result of this? As a result of uh, the, the changed priorities, will we see? Just a return to, to normal uh, with what are essentially, you know, pretty obscene levels of pay going to the top elite levels of sport, you know, million dollar a week paychecks and the like. Uh, will we see a return to that or do you think there's, uh, there's, there's the possibility that we might get a bit more balance back into it? It's interesting because um, certainly in Britain, but I, I sense across uh, North America and in, 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 in certain parts of Europe as well, uh, there are lots of people talking about this being a reset moment for sport, um, and and I think that's a really interesting observation that, we, that somehow we, we we can have a reset moment for sport, and that raises all kinds of questions for me. Um, firstly, in terms of you know, reset to what, um, you know, reset to 1992 when the Premier League was established, or re- reset. But doesn't it to- go back to sorry? Doesn't it go back to what you were saying before though that sport in essence is not just defined by what happens at the elite level. Um, that, that, you know, the, yeah, I mean, no, that, is, that, is, that is true. You know, I, I do agree with that. And, and I guess I'm framing this in terms of elite professional sport. Um, but I think there is a question, you know, reset to what? And, and, and who's going to re- do the resetting? And, and for whom? For whom are we, are we resetting? Uh, they're, well, a number really- of uh, football players in Australia, for example, are being told they're going to take 75% pay cuts for, for this year, for this football season. Um, and, of course, clubs are, are, you know, suddenly on the bones of their ass, basically, uh, as a result of, uh, you know, the, the seasons being abandoned. Eddie Maguire, a very prominent uh, uh, Australian football uh, club president, uh, Collingwood Football Club, and it's also a football commentator, has made a plea to members of clubs um, 
not to seek refunds for their membership fees unless they are in you know, very great dire financial hardship. He says, mm. without members, you don't have a club, you just have a memory. Mm. Uh, and I, surely uh, uh, the, the economics, the, in, in, a, in a sense, the kind of extreme economics of sport at this level is being exposed for what it is, really. It's, 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 a, it's very kind of big corporate interests and top-down, and, and uh, I think the paychecks are so far outside of community standard and when this crisis has occurred, we've we've just seen that, as I say, exposed. And uh, the people who are taking those big paychecks are the ones who have to take a big cut. Will they get back to where they were? I guess that's the question. There was a, a really interesting uh, Twitter thread that that somehow my name got entangled with uh, yesterday, Wednesday, um, in Britain, and, and Tuesday too. And and it was about the reported salary that Jaden Sancho might earn should he transfer from Borussia Dortmund to Manchester United. And there were some dissenting voices and saying, hey, this is a terrible thing. It's immoral. You know, he really shouldn't, etc., etc." But on balance, the vast majority of people who were posting were saying, well, hey, what, you know, this is what we value. This is what he's worth. We, we don't have an issue with this. We're prepared to pay. And, and so... My view of, of of the current situation and the way that it it has exposed the the mega books that are involved, we can't we can't necessarily prejudge what we believe the majority of people think, because I think there is a there is a there is a diversity of opinion, but also there are people who um, just simply accept the situation and are prepared to pay for and engage with the kinds of, of, of sport that many other people might criticize. And so going back to the earlier point that I made about resetting, yeah, resetting is one option. And there, there is a, a big debate, debate to be had about you know, what does resetting actually mean? I guess there are other people out there who seem to think that, you know, come, you know, come September 2020, we'll just go back to how it was before. And, and, you know, I guess there are some arguments why we wouldn't want to do that, but there are probably also some arguments why we would want to do that. And I think certainly in terms of the third option, from my perspective, we're living in a period when I think that uh, it it will be, in sport at least, it will be survival of the fittest. And so what we will get at the end of all of this is is the, 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 the financially vulnerable, uh, the weekly led, the poorly managed sports organisations and sports will fall by the wayside, and what we'll be left with is is these behemoths, you know, really uh, big, dominant teams, leagues, competitions, broadcasters, and so I I don't necessarily I can see the appeal of buying into you know this this kind of misty eyed view that we might somehow be 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 able to 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 return to a form of sport that is reminiscent of a of a more innocent time but i don't necessarily think that's a, an option i i think there may be more brutal more aggressive and even more hyper commercialized um scenarios that if we're not careful uh, we will find ourselves in and certainly one of the things that i've been advocating uh, for a, for a considerable period of the virus is yes we need to deal with it, the current imperative which is how do you finish games how do you finish uh, competitions how do you make sure that that, that clubs uh, don't go bust um how do you make sure there's enough money still left in the game etc cetera, etc cetera. that's really important but for me perhaps the even bigger issue is the seeds of the of the future are being sown now 
And so we we need to have a debate. We need to have a conversation. The stakeholders of sport need to talk about when we begin to reemerge from this and, and, and the virus begins to dissipate, how do we actually want our sport to be? And there's a, the, I think there's a, a big policy debate that we need to be having now on that kind of issue. Yeah, I think those are extremely wise words because the idea of uh, you know NBA players having eighty million dollar contracts um, and the same in the Premier League and and uh, leagues all around the world, um, when many of the fans, of course, are on far more modest incomes and some of them, you know, very much struggle just to make the ticket price to get to the games. Um, if we have a situation where these sports are suddenly uh, struggling, as you say, if it's a, if if money's in very short supply and it's a matter of kind of life or death or a fine balance thing as to whether some clubs survive, you would hope that the fat in the system is the fat in those in those salaries. But as you say, um, there's nothing more competitive than sport by its very nature, and it may well be that that survival of the fittest and the strongest gets stronger sort of ethic uh, reasserts itself, even if there is a period. Of, of some sort of minor level correction. And then there's something about uh, governments around the world here in terms of, uh, I think, ideologically, do, do they take an interventionist stance or do they, do they adopt a more laissez-faire approach? Um, and, and, and then it's how that translates in terms of sport policy. And to give my country as an example, I really don't envisage uh, the government stepping in and, and making uh, and, 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 and creating this hugely ambitious uh, sport policy that seeks to ensure that we don't return to some kind of hyper hyper commercialized environment. Um, you know, I can envisage my government just saying, "Hey, get on with it." And and in that case, I can see you know, the bigger the bigger sports, the bigger organisations within those sports. They'll be the one that they will be the ones that are left standing all of the, after all of this, and and if other if other teams go by the wayside, if other sports suffer, then we know people are already telling us on social media, you know, they're going to go back, they're going to watch, they're going to follow these teams, and so you will you will get you know, very definite um, instances, very clear instances of of the uh, of the fittest surviving. Hmm. It's a sort of a bleak picture in some ways, but there's a fair bit of bleakness around, uh, of course, uh, around this coronavirus crisis and uh, and all of the havoc that it's uh, caused and, and, and the human suffering, which, of course, is the worst part of all. Um, look, Simon Chadwick, uh, thanks very much for joining us on this special uh, Democracy Sausage Extra. It's been a terrific pleasure to talk to you and uh, we hope to talk to you again. Uh, and for those who are um, listening, uh, stay tuned, of course, for our regular Democracy Sausage, which will be available from uh, Monday of next week. And uh, until then, bye from Mark Kenny. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.